Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm Marnie Vinge, and this is Irioki. Join me and my friends as we explore the darker side of the Sooner State. All right. I'm Marnie Vinge, and this is Irioki, and I'm here tonight with Bryce Holland again. Yeah. Third time? Third time? Is this third time? This might be fourth. Fourth, Fourth, yeah. Yeah, We've talked about Bigfoot. We've talked about... The Wolfman. We've talked about Wolfman. We've talked about... Oh, oh, we talked about... uh, Beaver uh, Dunes. Beaver Dunes, that's right. Yes, gosh. Boy, time flies. We've done we've done several. Of these I know now. we have. Yeah, <laughs> I always have. I always have fun whenever you're on, and people always give me really good feedback about the episodes you're on. They really, really like you. That's great. So, that, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So we we've been sitting here for a little while talking about what we're going to talk about tonight, and there is so much information. We are going to be talking tonight about the Girl Scout murders. Yeah. This. I mean, I, I think we should probably preface this ahead of time and say that. I don't think we're even going to scratch the surface of everything that could be talked about with this because Mm -hmm. we we could do an entire series. Right. uh, uh, We could turn this entire podcast into just talking about the Girl Scout murders because there's a lot of complexity to this. Um, And and the more I read, the more more my thoughts on it change and the more I I become more and more confused and intrigued by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many elements. Like, I... I mean, there's, it's just, there's so much. So I think the first thing that we're going to do is just kind of give an overview of what happened for people who are not familiar with this. Um, Cause I didn't really know, I think I had heard of this like um, a little bit, but I had never really dove in and there's so much here. Okay. So um, on the morning of June 13th, 1977, three Girl Scouts were found murdered at Camp Scott in Locust Grove, Oklahoma. And I believe that place had been a campsite for the Girl Scouts for something like 50 years. It had, it had been in operation for quite a long okay. time. Um, and it was literally the last day that it was open. Yeah. Yes. They closed down from then on and did not reopen. Um, and it's located 45 miles east of Tulsa. Um, yeah, it had been operated by the Girl Scouts since 1928 and it was evacuated the day of the murders and never reopened. Um, the camp had just opened for the season on the day before the murders. And there are maps. There is a website called girlscoutmurders.com and you can go, you can go down the rabbit hole on that website. Like with all the information they've got, it's awesome. Um, yeah, that, that website, you know, they've, they've got a contact button on there and mm-hmm. I've never thought to reach out to whoever runs that website. Yeah. I know it's, it has a copyright on it as, mm-hmm. as late as last year, uh, right. 2018. So someone is clearly keeping this website managed or keeping the domain name active or, yeah. or you know, something. Um, and the, the website, it, it's, it's a little hard to navigate, but I give a lot of credit to whoever runs it. Um, it is incredibly just jam packed with so much information. Yeah. They compiled all of these, these, 
various newspaper clippings and photographs mm-hmm. um, and and little video snippets. Yeah. Um, like they've they've compiled so much information there. Um, I give them a lot of credit because if you're looking for any information about, yeah, you could this, spend hours and hours just combing yeah. through everything that they have compiled. It, it's amazing. Um, so on that morning, there was a camp counselor who was on the way to the shower and she was checking the camp and she discovered the girls. Um, there were three girls. Their names were, uh, Lori Lee Farmer, who was eight years old, Michelle Heather, it's Gousset, right? Uh, you know, I wasn't sure. I wasn't okay. sure if it was Gousset or, or Goose or Goose. Okay. I think it's Gousset because I think I remember hearing that in the video that w- that we both watched about this. Ah, uh, yeah. And Doris Denise Milner, who was 10, and he- uh, Michelle was 9. Um, and at the time that this all happened, it was believed that they were raped, bludgeoned, and strangled. Um, and it just, it shocked the entire area. Well, I mean, not just the entire area. I mean, it became national news. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was this was a pretty big case. I mean, I know the New York Times covered it pretty extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this became a, a pretty big, pretty big case that did lead to some very positive legislation way yes. after the fact. Yeah. Um, and I know that um, uh, eventually some of the the parents of some of the victims went on to do some some very incredible things. Um, uh, yes, advocating for victims' rights and, and things like that. Um, yeah, it was uh, Richard Gousset or Goose who helped get the Oklahoma Victims Bill of Rights passed. Yeah. He also helped found the Oklahoma Crime Victims Compensation Board. And Sherry Farmer um, founded the Oklahoma chapter of Parents of Murdered Children. Yeah, yeah. So they did some really, really positive stuff out of this tragedy that they endured. Well, this this case, though, I mean, like, like I said, it's... <laughs> It has perplexed me since I first found out about it. So Mm -hmm. I first found out about it in a very roundabout way. It was actually from an article on Cracked.com is where where I I first heard about it. And the article was about um, uh, like horrific murders, um, horrific unsolved murders with weird... Weird facts that most people don't know about. Something yeah, like yeah. that. You know, you know the, the way, oh, yeah, crack, yeah, the way yeah, crack does stuff. Um, they've always got great articles. And they talked about, you know, this this horrific thing. These three girls were were, were murdered. Um, uh, and and one of one of the things I, I, I hesitate to bring up because I, I found I found some conflicting stuff. Of course, now I can't find the information mm-hmm. for it. Um, I know that one of the first things that came out is that the girls were raped and murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I then read something somewhere, or at least I've convinced myself that I read something, yeah. that they they weren't actually raped. Okay. But then I read another thing saying that at the autopsy of these three girls, two of them were shown to have signs of, of sexual assault. Okay. Um, so I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to err on the side of the fact that I know they were murdered. And so I'm just going to mention the murder. I'm not okay. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. That's because perfectly fine. Because I, I, I don't want yeah. to throw anything out there that isn't factual. Yeah. So... Um, I just completely lost my train of thought. Oh, well, oh no, we're still good. we're still talking about these murders. Yeah. Um. So, you know this this horrific incident. Um. It I fell down the rabbit hole after reading this cracked article, um. Because if you read certain kind of straightforward accounts of it, I know there's been several books that have been written about mm-hmm. this. Um. Several very very good books yes. as well. Um. 
one of one of them I know was written by two of the uh, uh, OSBI agents yes. who caught the the, the suspect um, who we'll get to in just a moment. Yes. Um, and that book is called Someone Cry for the Children. Yes. And then there was a more recent book by a guy by the name of Gloyd McCoy, mm-hmm. which that is the best Oklahoma name. It I've really is. I mean, I I've I've lived in Oklahoma the vast majority of my life, and I've known some awesome Oklahoma names, and names that you would only hear yeah. there. Um, I went to church with a lady years ago who had the name of Kalula. I love it. Kalula. And that's a name that I've always... That's actually really pretty. I yeah, like I've, that. I've always yeah. stuck with that name. I've been like, oh, who? Like that is a total Oklahoma name. It is. And Gloyd is a it's great very, Oklahoma yeah. name. Yeah. Um, and it's called Tent Number Eight. Yes, and that book is a bit more. Um, it's a bit more dry. If you're, okay. if you're like, if you're into reading, um, it, like, if you're into more kind of um, narrative, yeah, true crime, um, it can be a little dry. But the dude who wrote it, Gloyd, he 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 really covered his stuff. In okay, it. it's a very very in depth book. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, a lot of the information that I have about the case comes from from his book. Okay, um, but. I, so I first found out about this from this cracked article, and then I fell down the rabbit hole reading about it. Yeah. Um, certain sources will paint this as sort of a very straightforward case um, that these these three girls were murdered, um, and that they fairly after eliminating some suspects that they had, they very quickly latched on to a a local criminal by the name of Gene Leroy Hart. Yeah. Um, and this is a guy who had a, a pretty pretty horrendous criminal record and had actually fairly recently escaped from prison for the second time. Yeah. Um, so he was sort of on the loose and it, the, the sheriff's office in, in uh, Mays County um, became very convinced very quickly that this was the guy that they were looking for. Gene Leroy Hart. He was a, a Cherokee man, full-blooded Cherokee man um, from the area. I guess as a young man, he was known as quite an athlete. He, yes. was, he was a standout athlete um, when he was a kid. Um, but then as he got older, he had some some pretty bad troubles with the law. I know mm-hmm. he was cited for, for assault and battery. And the thing that he was in prison for was a rather horrific story of him kidnapping and raping two pregnant women in Tulsa um, from the parking lot of a nightclub. Um, and the details of it are, are, I don't want to go too much into it, but it was just, it was a very, very disturbing thing that he did. And the big thing about it was that it was very much premeditated. It very, very much premeditated. Yeah. This was not, this was not just an impulse thing that he did. This was something he was, he was waiting for them and looking mm-hmm. to do something like this. So this was, <laughs> this was not a good man. Yeah. This was a, a very, very, disturbed bad man yeah uh, I, I i hate to say disturbed because i don't like giving a bad name to to people with any type of mental illness because mm-hmm. i think it's unfair you say disturbed and then suddenly yeah. anybody that has any type of illness. no this was this dude was just kind of a piece of shit yeah i totally i totally that's really the only way that it can yeah. be described um and so he 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 goes to prison for this he's convicted of this crime and he escapes from jail twice and it is during his second escape that the murders of these three girls happen. And he's known to be in the area. Yeah. Um, so they latch on to him and a manhunt ensues for the next 10 months. He, he, was, he was on the run for quite a while. These murders happened in June of 1977. Mm-hmm. He was not apprehended until April of 1978. 
um, because Gosh. because the sort of the rumor was was that he was hiding out in the woods, possibly being harbored and sheltered by a Cherokee medicine man. Mm-hmm. And that's where, when I read that fact, that's where things, the more you read about it, this case starts to take on a new dimension. Mm-hmm. It's bad enough that three innocent little girls were, were murdered. Mm-hmm. The investigation of this case takes a turn almost into the supernatural in certain yes. ways. There's a lot of very eerie things that happen um, during the investigation while they're trying to hunt down Gene Leroy Hart. Um, one of the weirder things that happen, and this is a weird little fact that I don't see too many people mention, mm-hmm. uh, within days of them finding these girls' bodies, uh, they had brought in uh, two or three, I'm sorry, I believe it was three tracking dogs from Pennsylvania um, that were dubbed the Wonder Dogs. These were mm-hmm. apparently like the best tracking dogs there were. They show up. By the end of this case, two of those dogs have died. And there's a rumor right off the bat that starts circulating that a Cherokee medicine man has put a death curse on these dogs. Wow. No sooner has this happened, I mean, within like a few days mm-hmm. or so, one of the dogs drops dead of heat exhaustion. Mm-hmm. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. A little while later, one of the other dogs, and these are trained police dogs, yeah. very mysteriously just runs out in the middle of traffic and gets hit by a car. Wow. So, which is really weird if you have ever been around a dog that's trained like that. A trained yes. dog. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so things now start taking this very supernatural yeah. bent. So now. While they're still hunting for Gene Leroy Hart, there's other weird things going on um, during the case. Um, people are sort of staked out at the camp, um, hoping that they might spot someone that they, they keep getting word that someone is off in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, guards posted at the camp and OSBI officers and, and law enforcement, they see people out in the woods. They'll see some silhouettes moving out in the woods while they're searching for Hart, and they go after him. They send the dogs out, and they can never catch whatever this silhouette is that they keep seeing. And the dogs will catch a scent, and they'll run out, and eventually they will almost always, all of them, end up in a field right outside the Kiowa unit, which is where the girls were killed. Mm. And they stop and apparently lose the scent there, and these dogs will start, like, barking up at the sky as if whatever they were chasing just, like, ascended into the air. Wow. Very, very weird. Like I yeah. said, this stuff gets really, really creepy. There's there's weird things going on with this mm. case. Um, so that's a big thing. Time passes. Like I said, it gets to be April of 1978. They eventually track down Gene Leroy Hart to a house about 45 miles away from the camp. Um, he's staying with a guy by the name of Sam Pigeon. Um, eight OSBI officers, uh, uh, basically, they, they track him to this place. They go in and they arrest Gene Leroy Hart without incident. Like, apparently, he basically just sort of turns himself over very quickly. Um, it's not long before that, you know, he's he's pretty much taken immediately to the Oklahoma State Penitentiary, Big Mac and McAllister, my mm. old stomping grounds. Um, and pretty much the next year is when the trial starts. Um, and the trial becomes very, very weird and contentious because um, there is this sort of Native American element of it. Yeah. And so at the time, in the, in the late 70s, um, the, the American Indian movement, AIM, was very, very active in fighting for indigenous rights mm-hmm. and Native American rights. And they're still around to this day fighting the good fight and doing yeah. really, really good work. I think AIM is a wonderful organization. But they sort of got themselves involved because um, this was a, a Native man um, who there was sort of a lot of evidence that he was maybe being railroaded 
by the sheriff. The sheriff seemed a little too eager um, to want to put very specifically this Gene Leroy Hart in jail. It kind of reminds me of making a murderer. A little bit. I feel like that guy, like, I feel like, I feel like with that thing, it was kind of almost like the police were like, you know what? He's a piece of shit and we're done with him. We're going to nail him for this one. And and I feel like there was a little bit of that element. Now, Mm -hmm. I say that also acknowledging that when I first started reading about this case, I fell on the side of, I don't think Gene Leroy Hart did it. Right. When you read more about Gene Leroy Hart and when you read about the crimes that he committed and then this crime... I don't think it's too big of a leap to it's think not. to think that yeah. he he escalated from mm. abducting and raping pregnant women to murdering and raping little girls. Yeah, um, it's it, it's not that big of a stretch. This right. guy, right? He there was a lot of weird things about his personality that come out. Mm. Um, this you're is not a, talking about like an athlete star who had never done anything. No, like no, it was well, and not to mention, so he he had gotten married when he was younger. Um, and he, uh, he had a a son and then he and his wife got a divorce and he basically never saw his son again, which contradicts a press conference that he gave during his trial, during Mm -hmm. his trial, um, towards the end of it, he gave this bizarre press conference where he basically stood in front of all these reporters and television news stations and everything and just was there to sort of answer questions because people had been trying to get interviews with him ever since he was captured. Right. And he, he was refusing all of them, was maintaining the silence. He was using this as his opportunity to to speak his mind and, and, and mm-hmm. get this out there. Um and it was just, when you read, there, there's a, a an article that the New York Times wrote up about the whole thing. I won't go into the full article, but when you read the comments that Gene Leroy Hart made during this press conference, they're just, there's something off about this yeah. guy. They, there's something sociopathic about his comments. Yeah. He talks a lot about him being, he, he describes himself as a deeply religious man. And he even made jokes. And, and, and he cut a few little jokes yeah. during it. Yeah. And... And he he talks about his his religion, which he describes as a blend of Christianity and the old ancient religion of his Cherokee ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, I also found, and I, I wish I could do justice to the whole thing, but like I said, I mean, we we could literally sit here for three hours talking yeah. about this yeah. this whole thing. I would encourage anyone listening to this to go to the website girlscoutmurders.com mm-hmm. if you want to know more about this because. They, they talk about, they've got a, a timeline of the trial, a timeline yeah. of events of his capture. So that, many documents. This was the, this was my number one source for reading about mm-hmm. this. Like I said, whoever put this site together, my, my hat's off to you because you've done the good work of compiling a huge amount of information about a still unsolved case. Yeah. Because Gene Leroy Hart, he goes through this trial mm-hmm. and he's acquitted. He yeah. ends up being acquitted. Um... There is, I think, speculation about why he was acquitted. Um, most of the evidence against him was circumstantial at best. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any solid physical evidence against him. They had There was a little bit, but most of the evidence in this trial was very, very circumstantial. And so you couldn't really pin it on him definitively. Yeah. Um, so he is acquitted of this crime, but no sooner is he acquitted... Then he is hauled back off to jail to serve the rest of his 300-plus-year sentence for escaping from prison and raping two pregnant women that he had also kidnapped. So he goes back to jail. 
And within days of going back to jail, he drops dead of a heart attack. Which one of the girl's fathers said was, um, I believe he's quoted as saying that it was divine. A lot, there was, there was a lot of that, which you can, you can never mm-hmm. sort of underestimate those kind of comments in yeah. Oklahoma, especially yeah. back then. I mean, oh, yeah. like we've got a, a, we've got a very deeply religious state. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't think anyone was too sad to see Gene Leary no, Hart. Go. I don't think he, so. He, um, I, I don't know whether he murdered these girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I lean on the side of, I think it's likely that he yeah. did, but I don't know whether he did or not, but I don't think anyone is mourning his death because he was not a good man. He yeah. was, he was a very, very bad man yes. who at least deserved to be behind bars for the rest of his life. Oh I'm, yeah. You know, it, it's, this is such a weird thing, but then there's a lot of weird things about this case that even stretch to before the murders that I think this is where a lot of people get so fascinated about it because mm-hmm. leading up to the case, leading up to the murders, there was a lot of very bizarre incidents happening around Camp Scott. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know. Have, have you ever been up that way towards Tahlequah? I don't think so. I I spent many a summer up there. Um, okay. as, as a kid, I attended uh, Camp Egan uh, Methodist Church Camp okay. uh, up uh, Tahlequah Way. It is beautiful country up there with the woods as thick as molasses. Mm -hmm. They are, I mean, I, I I don't find it surprising that Gene Leroy Hart was able to evade capture for as long as he did, because this was uncharted land. If Mm -hmm. you didn't know where you were going out there, you could get lost out in those woods. And and some of these areas of this forest out there are so thick with trees that if you shut your eyes and just spin around a couple of times, you'll lose your bearing and not know where you are. I mean, this is, Un, undiscovered country, as it right. were, you know, and that that whole area of Oklahoma is like that. But so, in the in the the weeks leading up to um, the the murder, um, just I mean, just days before, even not not even that that long before, um, they uh, some some very bizarre little things happened around camp. So in in April, two months before Farmer. And Guse and Milner were murdered. Um, there was a training session held at Camp Scott. Um, that weekend ended prematurely, though, because a counselor's cabin was weirdly ransacked by someone. Mm-hmm. Someone went through this cabin and ransacked it. And a note was found in an empty box of donuts. A handwritten note was found in this empty box of donuts that read, quote, we are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one. Now, these girls were in tent eight, mm-hmm. so no girls were killed in tent one, but such a specific note yeah. to be found before anyone arrives. Not only that, but someone also created an effigy of a man and they hung it from a tree at the camp by its neck. I mean, I don't, you know. That's like, if I was, I mean, I think. I I personally think that this is what inspired the plot of Friday the 13th. Okay. If you've ever seen the original Friday the 13th, people are talking about a death curse Mm -hmm. at at Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a whole thing. And there's all these signs pointing to, do not have summer camp here. Right. Do not have summer. Yeah. Do not do it. 
But they open the summer camp anyway, and of course, all these counselors are killed. I feel by like that's Jason a, exactly well, this. Yeah, <laughs> not not Jason Voorhees. I right. need to correct it. It was actually his mother in the first one. Okay, I'm a, I'm a purist when it comes okay. to Friday the Thirteenth series. <laughs> Gotta get that fact right. Yeah, a lot of people forget that. But there's all these these signs saying, but everyone's just ignoring them. Right, everyone, like everyone they, just they completely ignores. Dismissed these. it as a prank, and one of the things that they. The reasons that they did was there was something mentioned about the Martians yes. in the note. So they thought like, yes, oh, whatever. They it's... thought it was someone someone crazy. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I give hindsight is twenty twenty. Right. The thing is, is that nowadays we know about this, but it was a different time back in the 70s. Right. And I think it was very easy because information wasn't disseminated the way it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I hear people talk about how how um, now is a much more dangerous time that we live in. This is an argument that I get in with, with yeah. people a lot, um, where people talk about now being a much more dangerous time than any other time. And I completely disagree with that, mm-hmm. with that statement. I think that now is, in many ways, I, I don't want to say for everything. I don't want to speak right. too, too far out of turn. But in, in, in a... Painting with a broad brush here. In many ways, we live in the safest time ever. Yeah. And it's because of how fast we can disseminate information. The internet, Facebook, things happen and people know about it right mm-hmm. away. I mean, I can think of a number of criminal cases, recent, recent, very horrific things that have happened to people that no one would have ever known about back, right. back then. I mean, how many, how many African-American people, ca- countless African-American people were murdered by law enforcement Back in the 60s, probably even the 70s, yeah. before that, that we will never know the names of these people. Exactly. Now, we with we have the way to communicate these things. Right. Um, which I do think is an important thing. So, uh, another fact that I point to all the time is, if you look at the 70s, even through the 80s, how many name, I don't want to say famous, infamous serial killers. I knew that's what you were going to say that it's like the golden age of serial. I mean, it is. I mean, you're talking through the seventies, you've got through the seventies and eighties, you've got Gacy, Dahmer, Ramirez, Ramirez, uh, so many of them, the BTK killer. It's all in that. All of them are time to that. Let's go from, let's go from Jeffrey Dahmer is, is caught and Mm -hmm. apprehended in the early nineties. Let's go from Jeffrey Dahmer till now. Can't I mean? I can't. Very, very few that you may even be able to name. I mean, yeah. I can name some, but they're very obscure things yeah. that the average person hadn't, hadn't heard. But okay. you say you say the name Bundy, people mm-hmm. know exactly. Who oh you're yeah, talking about. yeah. Unless you're a comedy fan, you might think of Al Bundy. Yeah. For the longest time, I was that guy because I watched a lot of <laughs> yeah. Married with Children. You're like, oh, what's wrong with Bundy? I loved, I loved Married with Children. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, so you say Bundy, you say Gacy. Mm-hmm. You say Ramirez. Yeah. You say Dahmer. Those names mean something and carry a weight. Nowadays, serial killing is almost I don't I don't want to say it's impossible, because it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. There is cases of of late that we have heard about yeah. these things. Um, but it's much harder in this day and age because yeah. of the way we can communicate and be safer. There were so many tragedies and things that happened in the 60s and 70s and probably even into the 80s mm-hmm. that we may never know about because we didn't have these communication tools. I think that's absolutely true. So now these these girls, you know, people, people see this note going on mm-hmm. and they probably think, we're at a Girl Scout camp. Someone's just playing a prank. Someone's being stupid. I I personally knew a ton of stupid people when I was a high school kid that would have played a prank like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to say that I would have done it, but I might have done it. Yeah. I, 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 I <laughs> yeah. may have done something like that. I can, I can t- <laughs> but I can totally, like, yeah, see how they would dismiss this and not think. 
it's kind of like when Jay and I were talking about at the Sirloin Stockade, like when they approached that guy and they said, give us your money. And he said, well, you need to work for your own money. And it's kind of like, right. You might not have that reaction today. If someone, right. just because of the information that we have about these things happening, we're able to be safer because of what we know. Mm-hmm. So it's 1977. I can, I can see how, I know a lot of people in hindsight look back at this and they go, you know, how could someone have ignored this sign? Right. You know, a big one that I always go to um, now um, that I feel actually really bad for them, you know, it's sort of been the talk of true crime circles mm-hmm. is that documentary abducted in plain sight. Yes. You know, and people go, how could those parents have been right. so stupid? Well, in 2019, we have the, the, the ability to look at that and go, right. how could these stupid people have done this. Right. But we're talking about the 19... I mean, that was the 50s, wasn't it? Oh, gosh. Or was that the 60s? It might have been the 70s, 60s or 70s. Doesn't, I think. It, I don't, I'm uh, not sure. It, let's say sometime between the 50s and the 70s. Yeah. I can totally see how that would oh, happen. Yeah. I mean, and also, that guy, what he did to them was... I mean, I hesitate to use this word, but in the context of what he was trying to do, it was brilliant because by involving the father in a sexual act in a place where that is absolutely forbidden yes. and, like... I mean, he bought his silence, basically. Yeah. Like... But I digress. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. get too far yeah, no, 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 in plain sight. Yeah. Because, but I just... I think of this notion of... You know, people talking about, you know, how could something like this happen? It was a different time back then. And and information didn't travel the way it does Mm -hmm. now. I mean, now someone does anything and it's around the world the next day. Oh, yeah. I mean, it travels so fast. So getting back to to Gene Leroy um, and this case. So this that stuff happens um, the 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 week or well in April before it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of very, very weird thing. One thing that you and I talked about before mm-hmm. this, um, in the days leading up, and I won't, I won't read the, the actual court transcript. This is one of the few things we have a court transcript of, because in my researching this, I found out an interesting thing about Oklahoma law, or at least Oklahoma law back then. Yeah. I don't know if that's still the law now, but the, the law apparently back then said that if someone was acquitted, the court clerk did not keep a transcript of the trial. So we have no transcript of this trial because Gene Leroy Hart was was acquitted. Um, so the only thing that we we have that we can piece together what happened during the trial is extensive media coverage, of mm-hmm. a lot of newspaper articles. But before that, there was a preliminary hearing. I'm not really sure what, but there was a, a counselor, um, and her name was McElwhite, I believe was her name. That's, okay. I think that's... that. I, I want to make sure that I have that name right. Yeah, it is... Uh, uh, Mackle White. Yes. Um, Miss. No, I'm sorry. I said Mackle White. Her name was Carla Wilhite. Okay. Mackle White. I don't know where I got <laughs> that from. Her name was Carla Wilhite, and she um, was uh, uh, questioned. Uh, I guess that's probably the right word. Mm-hmm. She was she was deposed um, on the stand by Garvin Isaacs, who was Gene Leroy Hart's attorney. Um, I believe he's still practicing law to this day in the Oklahoma City area. I actually met him a couple times. Yeah. Um, when I worked at Fox 25 News, he would come on as a legal analyst for stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And he a very, very nice man. Um, I didn't find out until after I had met him that he was involved in this case. And I, I, wow. wish, I wish that I had gotten a chance to ask him about it. But I, yeah. I never saw him again because I, I then left that job. Um, but anyways, Carla Wilhite gave a testimony during this preliminary hearing that one night, um, in the, in the days leading up to this, this incident to happen, um, 
I think they were still waiting for campers to arrive. Um, it was a, a night when everyone had gone down to this place, Cedar Lodge, which I guess was a place just down the road where everyone sort of gathered, counselors gathered to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, she had stayed at the camp um, while everyone went down to Cedar Lodge. Well, she went to this main cabin area because she didn't want to sleep in her tent because she he, she had thrown out her back. And um, she had taken some some codeine and some, some Tylenol. Tylenol with codeine mm-hmm. in it. And... Um, and so she she was laying down, and as she was laying down, I guess there was sort of a screen door. It, it got dark outside, and there was a screen door to this this building that she was in, and she heard something kind of rub up against the door. And she sort of woke up and didn't see anything there, but she heard something moving outside. Yeah. And oh. so she called out to to whatever it was, said, who's there? And then eventually she thought that it could have been the camp dog. There was apparently this dog, Sally, mm-hmm. um, that was just, she was the camp dog. And she thought it might be the dog out there moving around. But she called for the dog and the dog came running in from another direction. Ooh. And as soon as the dog came in, apparently stopped before it got to the door and started barking and growling at something. And it was at that point that, Miss Wilhite, she heard something walking away from the cabin. Wow. And she never saw who it was, and the dog apparently chased after whatever it was, but never heard anything. So... I'm going to flip this slide on. Sure. Um, So she... She heard something out there that was clearly a person, because she heard footsteps walking away. Yeah, and it, so someone was prowling around this cabin, and it sounds like someone was. Well, I said the cabin around the camp. Someone was prowling around this camp for a few months, at least mm-hmm. since April. Um, yeah, before this happened, because you get a cabin ransacked, you get the this this note that it appears in this donut box. You get all this bizarre stuff. Someone is looking in a, a screen door at this woman. Something very disturbing was going on at this camp. Someone was watching this camp and and yeah had very nefarious plans. And then after it all happened, it seems that that person was still watching and yes. still hanging out around there because there were the shoes that were found. Yes, it was not. It was after the the girls' bodies had been found. Um, they there was one day again another bizarre unexplained mm-hmm. thing. Um, some men that had been guarding sort of the main camp area um, at the at the camp um, saw someone off in the woods. They saw a silhouette, and they went to go investigate it. When they came back, sitting on the steps of the main cabin area is a plastic bag, and inside is a pair of shoes with the name Denise Milner written inside of it. One of the little one of the little girls that was killed. And the shoes are wet. It is not an OSBI evidence bag. This is just a plastic bag with this girl's shoes on it, just suddenly appearing on these yeah. steps. Um, someone, whoever this was. Now, the question becomes, whoever this was that did this, because whoever left these shoes and whoever did this was clearly a deeply disturbed individual. And I do mm-hmm. believe that it is the individual that left the notes. I believe it yeah. is the individual that was looking in the doors. This was someone... With this was someone that this was not someone you wanted to to meet out in the woods. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Um, 
someone very, very deranged. Yeah. Um, the question is, was Gene Leroy Hart that person? I get the intense impression that he was something of a sociopath. Yeah. And he did some very, very violent things, but at no point did he demonstrate the kind of, um, I, I mean, I don't want to I mean, playfulness is almost mm. what I want to say. Whoever was doing this was toying with the, with, yeah. with the law enforcement yeah. and with the investigators. I don't know if Gene Leroy Hart was that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that there was, there's been speculation over the years of, of this being sort of a group job. You know, yeah. I know that at one point um, there in 2008, they finally got to do a DNA profile of some DNA found at the scene. Um, they, they couldn't conclude whose it was, but they did conclude that the DNA was female. But that should also be with the caveat that they know the DNA didn't belong to two of the girls. Right. But they couldn't rule out that it didn't belong to the third girl. Right. So it's possible the DNA they found was from one of the victims. Yes. But... And one of the mothers was always convinced that there was a female involved. Yes. And so there are so many weird little threads of this case that, that they just... I think about this case a lot because yeah. it is a, it's an, a very, it's the sort of unsolved murder that you want to read about because yeah. there's so much information about it. You had, you have a suspect that sounds like they could be a good suspect. You've got these three, three girls tragically, tragically killed. You've got supernatural elements all mm-hmm. in it. You've got, racial elements of the American Indian movement coming in. Like there is so many facets to this case. I mean, like I said, I, I, we could talk about this for hours. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And one of the things I wanted to go over was some of the evidence that was used in the trial that kind of ended up not being enough for the jury to say that definitively this guy did it. But, um, one of the things, the DNA thing, um, there was a single hair that was found on the duct tape on one of the girl's wrists, I believe. And they did determine that I know this a little bit about this from the intro to forensics class that I took that with, um, strands of hair, you can determine kind of an ethnic background of the person. And they did determine, I didn't even know that. Yes. And they did determine that, um, it could have belonged to a native American person. And so that was, that was kind of, it was one of those things where it's like circumstantial, but kind of also points to him And um, some of the things that I thought were interesting were that in the blood on the floor of the tent, there was a 9.5 size shoe print. Then outside in, I think out in like the dirt area before you got to the woods, there was a military style boot print that was a size 13. And I believe. Which was smaller than, because Gene Leroy Hart was not a big man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I believe that was something I read also that sort of, it, it is one thing that people point to where they go, well, clearly it wasn't him. Well, I don't think that it completely exonerates Gene Leroy Hart, mm-hmm. but it certainly does help in his defense. And this, an, another source, okay, the, this is from directly from girlscoutmurders.com. I might have gotten that wrong. The boot print outside, let's see, another print had been found on the blood, blood sloped for floor of tent eight. The shoe print, possibly a tennis shoe, was a size seven. The boot print was a size 10. So the sizes were a little off on that, on ah. my notes. But, um, but yeah, I mean. Well, 
the thing that gets me is after the fact, years later, we've had certain weird things come out of, of other possible suspects. One that always got me, and I get some of this information from Ranker.com. Mm-hmm. Ranker did a, a great little write-up I did of, go, of yeah. some facts mm-hmm. about the case. Um, but one of the things that they talk about is how in 1989, um, a guy by the name of Reverend Gerald Manley, he apparently reached out to authorities to say that he thought that four men were responsible for the murders. Um, he provided law enforcement with the names of two of the people he said killed the girls and officials investigated the tip, but they weren't able to link it to any of these, these men. Um, Manley had said that he went to camp Scott with four men whom he claimed needed his Christian influence, (laughs) which is such a weird little fact to put in there. Um, and he saw the dead body of one of the girls and two sleeping bags that appeared to contain the corpses of the two other girl scouts and police have been unable to corroborate the Reverend's story. Um, he reportedly passed a lie detector test when he was questioned, and he provided the same account while under hypnosis. Yeah. That's a very, very weird story. That is so um, bizarre. There was another weird one that most people don't talk about this, and I wish more people would. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2011, a guy by the name of John Russell, who was a criminal himself, uh, he was convicted of embezzlement and check fraud, he announced that he was making a movie called Candles, a film about the murders at Camp Scott. Now, the reason why is because uh, he said that while he was in the Ottawa County Jail in 1979, one of his fellow inmates, a guy by the name of Carl Lee Myers, confessed to the killings to him. Wow. Um, Myers was a convicted murderer, and he died in prison in 2012 while on death row for killing a woman by the name of Cindy Marzano in 1996. And before his death, police linked him to the rape and murder of another woman by the name of Sean Williams, um, but officials never connected him to the Girl Scout murders. And as of 2017, this article is a little older, Candles has never been released and to my knowledge has never even been shot. So um, I think it would be a very, very interesting movie. I think true crime films often, you know, can be really, really good Yeah. um, uh, when they're done right. Um, There are some true crime films that I watch that I'm like, really boring. Yeah. My favorite though of all time, I'm digressing a little bit, but Zodiac. One of my all-time favorite movies, David Fincher's Zodiac. I've seen that. Yeah, um, it's really good. It's, just, it's such that, that is how you make a true crime movie. Yeah, um, especially one based off of a book, and it's, that's yeah. just such. a I've great read movie. the book too, yeah. and that is a yeah. good. That is it's it's good stuff. But this this case is just uh, you know, and we we've talked a lot about you know the we, we've talked a lot about the the, the potential suspects. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I feel for that we haven't mentioned enough, I don't think here, is talking about the, the parents mm-hmm. um, and sort of the aftermath of this. I, I cannot fathom. Um, I mean, it was the first day of camp. They had yeah. literally just dropped off their little girls. Right. Um, first day of camp and that first night, I mean. It's unthinkable. They never come home. And I give a, a lot of questions. You know, we, we mentioned this this at the at the top, but, you know, Richard Goose, Michelle Goose's uh, um, uh Gousset. I think. Gousset. I think. I believe it's Gousset. I'm going to go with Gousset because it sounds better than Goose, mm-hmm. um, at least the way I say it. Um, <laughs> he, Richard Richard Gousset, he helped establish the Victim's Bill of Rights in Oklahoma um, and the Oklahoma Victim's Compensation Board. Those are two very, very important things mm-hmm. that, that he helped you know bring about. Um, 
He said that he felt as though he and his wife were ignored by law enforcement and prosecutors, so he drafted the bill to create coordinating centers in Oklahoma to keep victims and families involved in every step of the legal process. And the Compensation Board uh, helps provide victims and their family members with money to assist with expenses and medical bills. I mean, that's super important. That's really good stuff, So the fact that that he was able to take this tragedy and and bring Mm -hmm. something good at it that has benefited a lot of Oklahomans. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of people. And uh, Lori Farmer, uh, her mother, Sherry Farmer, uh, she founded the Oklahoma chapter of Parents of Murdered Children, which is an organization dedicated to providing assistance and support to the families of homicide victims. Yeah. Uh, specifically young homicide victims. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, those are, that's a good thing that these, these people did. Cause I, yeah. I, I gotta be honest. I mean, I, I'm a father of, of two girls. Um, I would like to say that if something happened to them, I would be able to have the wherewithal to, right. to, to, you know, persevere and, yeah. and push on and do something good. But I feel like I'd just be a complete mess. Right. Like for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, for them to be able to do that, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, this is, <laughs> you know, I, I talk about the bizarre aspects of it because they're the things that interest me the most, mm-hmm. but you can never forget that this was a tragedy of three little girls, right. you know, horrifically murdered at Girl Scout camp. I mean, of that's all places of, of all places. I mean, Girl Scout mm-hmm. camp. I, you know, I mean, I went to summer camp when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Boy Scout camp, you know, yeah. and I just I cannot fathom. Right. Something like this. I, I do know that so many of the things that we that we have nowadays, you know, regulations at camps and mm-hmm. stuff are a direct result of what happened here in the state of Oklahoma in 1977. Um, so again, you know, these are, you know, people were able to learn from these horrific tragedies, but yeah, it's, it's, Gosh, it, it's, it's a very, very weird case with so many facets. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. I, I know I what I'm doing for the rest of the night. I'm going to, when we get off of here, I'm going to get me some food and I'm going to get on this website and just read. Yeah. Like this is, I mean, it's, it is, so fascinating and it makes me think of um i just recently started listening to the audiobook of michelle mcnamara's um i'll be gone in the dark yeah yeah that's a great book that's yes a, a, i mean that's a fascinating story and it reminds me of i remember there's this one part in the book where she talks about how she envies civil war reenactors because she says there's a definitive beginning and an end but there's still a plethora of information for them to comb through and she said with unsolved murders it's it consumes your life. Like, right. You, you've got a beginning. Mm-hmm. You've got all of these disjointed and unconnected threads yeah. that you don't know what they connect to in the right. end. And, yeah. you know, but you know, in, in, in that book, in Michelle McNamara's book, uh, rest in peace because mm-hmm. her death was also very, very tragic, but yeah. she, she made such an important work, but she spelled out exactly how she thought that, the, the the East Area rapist, the the, mm-hmm. the OG uh Night Stalker, the Golden yeah. State killer. She spelled out how she how he thought he was gonna be caught, and that's exactly how he was caught. Mm-hmm. Well, I say exactly how he was caught. That is exactly how the man who they suspect to have done it was caught. Yeah. I guess he, he hasn't actually been convicted yet. Yeah. Um God, when does that trial start? I'm not sure. Soon, I think. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I mean she was right, and if you think about that we got a case like this. I mean, I know they've done some DNA testing, mm-hmm. um, but DNA testing has progressed so much since yeah. 1977 and since 2008, the last time they oh, did yeah. DNA testing. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe one day we could see some finality and closure so. to this case. Oh, I think so. Um, 
And if you guys, um, I know I've mentioned this uh, documentary on here before, but if you are, if you like the unsolved crimes that have the payoff at the end of getting an answer, The Jinx. The Jinx is a very, very, that's a, yeah, that's a great, great series. Oh my God. It's so, I mean, when I saw the end of that, I was like, pick my jaw up off the ground. Like that was. Robert Durst. um, And Andrew Jarecki. Yeah, Robert Durst, man, that guy, he just. Couldn't keep his mouth shut. No. And I bet his lawyer was like, you are a moron. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that was really bad. Yeah. But if you, and also I'll be gone in the dark. If you, if you like that, like unsolved case after a long time getting a resolution, like yeah, those yeah. are two really good, really good sources for you. If you want to, I would, I would encourage anyone that's interested in this case though. Um, seek out the books that are available. Yeah. Um, uh, tent number eight is, yes. a, is a fantastic book. It, it can be a little dry, um, but it is full of so much information. And I know that the the other, the more famous book, uh, Someone Cry for the Children, um, that book's out of print, I believe, and it's kind of hard to track down, but you can find used copies out there. You're just going to pay a little bit for them. Yeah. Um, and then there's one more called The Camp Scott Murders. I haven't actually read that I one. haven't. I haven't either. Yeah. Um, but it's supposed to be more like an, an encyclopedia of the events and people and locations. I encourage so. people to uh, to go on, on GirlScoutMurders.com and watch the little OETA segment yes, that was produced I, yeah. back in the 80s. It's good. Um, that was a, a really great little segment with a mm-hmm. lot of information about the trial. Um, you get interviews with Garvin Isaacs, who mm-hmm. is Gene Leroy Hart's um, uh, attorney, Um it's a great little piece. Most of what OETA produces is yeah. really good. And you get to hear from the jurors directly, like why one of them tells why they were unable to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like I said, I mean, the thing is, is that most of the evidence that was out there was circumstantial. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you, when you put it that way, I mean, despite the fact that Gene Leroy Hart was a known felon, he was mm-hmm. a known piece of shit. Yeah. Um, the evidence that was out there was circumstantial and you know, Unfortunately, you've got to acquit someone like that yeah. if the evidence isn't adding up. Yeah. So, oh man, I could talk about this forever. This is, oh, it's so interesting. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming and bringing all of your knowledge about this. I, you know, I was glad that you invited me for this one because I, I think I've established myself as kind of the monster guy on here, yeah. um, which I don't mind being because I yeah. love talking about monsters. Um, but every once in a while, a true crime mm-hmm. case just sort of captures my imagination. And oh yeah. This is one that has captured my imagination for a long time just because of how weird it is. It is weird. Um, it's yeah. a very, very weird case. And so I was glad that you, uh, that you asked me. Yeah, for sure. Time. For sure. Um, are you working any, on any projects that you want to talk about or anything um, like that? I, sort of. Um, I'm actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, we're recording this on a Friday and, mm. uh, on Sunday I'm actually leaving the country for a little while. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm going to, uh, be traveling Europe for a little bit. So that's exciting. We'll see what comes uh, out of that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm hoping something, um, I don't have anything definitive that I'm working mm-hmm. on. Um, I wish that I could plug like some social media stuff, but you know, I've actually, since the last time I was here, I've pretty much been off social media completely. It's a way to be. I, I have not, I've not, I've, I, I still have a Facebook account mm-hmm. and I still have an Instagram. You can go to my Instagram, uh, at Bryce B Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am, basically never on it and i don't think i've posted anything to it in months i've just pretty much all but given up social media because i got nothing out of it and it was just a huge time suck for me that's not not a bad thing i feel a lot better not being on social media yeah i can oh i can well imagine that (laughs) 
Yeah, so I guess all I've got is um, follow the Instagram at Irioki, and I'm way more active on Instagram than I am on Facebook because I just like Instagram so much better than Facebook for it, that very reason. And it sucks because they're both owned by Facebook. Exactly, and, yeah. But it is better than yeah. Facebook. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a little less negativity with Instagram. It's just all images. Yeah. And so you can kind of, I think yeah. pe- people always want to represent the best, their, their best selves right. through images. Yeah. Um, so I think it just tends to sort of reflect a, a more positive outlook on life. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to follow the Instagram, it's at Irioki. Facebook is the same. And there's a Facebook group, which I do post in a lot more than I post on regular Facebook. Um, and then if you want to follow my writing stuff, it's at Irioki Press. And I actually posted a flash fiction story today, which you guys will hear this next week. And there'll be another flash fiction story available. So if you want to see that, check it out. Um, And I think that's all I've got. So thanks again, Bryce. Always pleasure as always. Can't wait to be back. Yes.